Welcome to Behind the Spotlight, a different kind of podcast where we have real, deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries who are making their potential possible. They are certainly ahead of their time and worthy of yours. So listen as I take your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. In life, it all comes down to building powerful, long-lasting relationships in a thoughtful, authentic way. You know, we all see that highlight reel of successful entrepreneurs, but I want to take you behind the spotlight and show you who they were before they figured it all out. Let's explore the sometimes torturous, but always interesting paths their lives have taken. So I'm Beth, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a magnetic business mentor. I help entrepreneurs to strategically prepare their business and gain exposure through collaboration and media so they can make their mark on the world. I'm a huge believer in the power of potential to catapult your life forward. So join me as we explore stories of some of our favorite people leveraging their past to make their potential possible on Behind the Spotlight. Hey, I'm so happy you're here. Not only because I'm so grateful that you listen to the podcast, but because I want you to meet Melanie Curtis. She's like the life coach for people who don't want life coaches. She actually went into investment banking after growing up in a skydiving school. Yep, her dad was a skydiving coach. I cannot wait for you to hear her story, what she's all about, and how she helps people overcome their fear while making it fun. Here we go. Melanie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to speak to you. Also because I love your guts, but because I'm so (laughs) interested about flight school and jumping out of planes, which I know is not your business, but I know it's such an integral part of your life. Can you please tell me a little bit? I think it started with your dad, right? Yeah, my, my dad's a pilot. So, and by the way, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to see you uh, and just get to talk to your audience and grateful. Uh, but yeah, my, my dad was a, is a pilot. And so he, aviation was in my family, is in my family. And I grew up around it. You know, my first flight was when I was three months old, that type of immersive young experience. Uh, my dad also, when I was young, a young kid, started a skydiving center at our house. So our house is an airport, like is a personal airport in that it's Curtis Airport. It's the grass strip <laughs> behind my dad's house. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, where is that? Yeah. What state is that in? It's in upstate New York. I, again, I grew up around skydiving and so my dad wasn't a skydiver per se. He's jumped a couple of times, but he and his BFF, who was a skydiver, <laughs> they said, ah, let's open a drop zone at the house. And they did. And they ran it for a long time. So I was exposed to skydiving at a really young age. And I sat through the first jump course a million times. And one day when I was 18, I basically said, for this is it. I'm doing it tomorrow. And I kind of was just sick of feeling afraid of, of it, like sick of thinking about maybe doing it and just was over the anxiety of the thought of jumping. Cause there, I wanted to, but I was afraid. And so I just reached that stake in the ground moment. And anyway, for me, it was a wildly pivotal turning point in my entire life in the sense that when, what I think people think about when they think about jumping out of airplanes is, and, and not everyone, but most people, a lot of people say, oh, I could never jump out of a perfectly good airplane, right? We've heard that <laughs> sentence a million times. Yes. 
And what I contest is missing from the end of that sentence is I could never jump out of a perfectly good airplane and live. Like there's this fear of death or major injury. Like there's this real mortal fear uh, connected to that experience, understandably so. And so basically when I jumped and so I thought that, but I didn't know that, like there was no part of my young 18 year old mind that really knew I was that like afraid of that. So when I landed and when I lived, it was a real change, like mind altering moment where you know, in Austin Powers, when the fembots and their brains, like, <laughs> you know, they yeah. go, and the smoke <laughs> comes out of their ears. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that basically happened to me at 18 years old. And it's not the super life coachy, I'm so freaking cool. Like, I can do anything now. It's more the, when I am afraid of something, I have to at least question whether that is true or not. So it, it really gave me a a powerful skill to move through fear at to, to at least question fear at a very young age. And I see that supporting me through all of the things that I've done in my life that are, you know, of any note, being an entrepreneur, being an artist, being a public speaker, being all the things, a writer, just all the things that I do are underpinned by that willingness to question the fear that I feel. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I know it's big. It's That's totally huge. big. What yeah, I do have to say to that. Annoying. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I do, have to, there's this quote that I got recently that was like, a, I was in a Facebook group and this man had said a quote and I went back to find it because I was thinking about it all day. And honestly, I can't find it and no one knows where it is. This is what I got from it. That courage is taking your talents through the fear and into the light. And that really spoke to me because also for me, I didn't jump out of airplanes, but my being afraid was public speaking. Mm -hmm. And when I was 16, I spoke at a Jewish event in front of thousands of people without notes. You know, I don't even remember how long it was or what I said, but I remember thinking that if I could just be steadfast in that I knew what I was doing, then the fear Mm -hmm. didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Still jumping out of a plane for me. For me, yeah. it's not even by the dying. For me, it's like I don't like that rush feeling. Like I don't like um, roller coasters. I don't like s- tubing. You know, like yeah. snow tubing. Like I don't like that. That part yeah. Of it. Well, not the dying part of it. Well, and skydiving is not for everyone. That's for darn sure. I say all the time. <laughs> I could care less. I could truly care less if people jump out of airplanes. I do not care, and I mean that in a real positive, supportive way, because I say it all the time. Similarly to what you just said is that overcoming fear, moving through fear, being brave looks differently for every person. It could be having a real conversation with someone you love. It could be writing something and publishing it on the internet. It could be standing up in front of people at a, at a, an event like you did. It could be whatever. It could be trying the trapeze. Like it could be, it could be anything. Right. But that, and this is the thing is that when we talk about fear, we think that it's not connected to dying, but like theoretically all fear is connected evolutionarily back to death. So if, for example, I have had to work through my own fear for sure around public speaking, around 
I can talk about skydiving easily all day long. It's super easy for me because I'm very experienced. I'm highly confident in, in that lane. When I first was a very new life coach, so I've been life coaching and being a full-time entrepreneur for about 13 years now. And at the beginning of that, I really, of course, was understandably super attached to the outcome. I really want people to like me as a life coach <laughs> and, and think I'm cool as a life coach. And want to work with me and want to pay me money and all this stuff. And it took a long time for me to work through stepping into the confidence that I feel in the, in the zone of skydiving coaching and skydiving, just leadership and having it cultivating it in the realm of being a life coach and being an entrepreneur and being a public speaker. So anyway, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, lately I've been having, because I feel like I'm stepping into the next level of what I'm doing. And Amazing. I've had a lot of conversations myself where I'm like, actually, last night I had this. I was having fear and I was having doubt. And I was like, this means you're in the right spot. Yeah, like, from, cool. And that's the way that I deal with it, because otherwise, then I'm just going to watch Netflix all night. But if I can understand that that fear is, is congruent with my doubts in myself and just keep moving through it. Then I'm then I'll tell myself I'll be okay. We'll see what happens. But yeah. I'll tell myself I'll be okay. And I think you're right. I think being an entrepreneur and starting out and pushing send. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I still do that too. I've been doing this for 10 years and I had I sent an email out yesterday and I was like, just hit send. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, and I think people look at people who have achieved something and they're like, oh, there's no fear there anymore. And, yeah. And I want everyone to hear there's fear everywhere. Everyone has it. And if they say they don't, they're lying. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Oh my gosh. That's one of the things I, I make sure like as a writer, as a public purse person in whatever form people engage with me, whether it's on the internet, whether it's through some of my videos, whether it's through my writing, whether it's a podcast like this, whatever. I, I always talk about that because I've gotten it a lot over the years. Oh my God, you're fearless. Hell no. <laughs> I'll tell you that part of why I think, honestly, and this is no joke, why I think I've been successful at quote unquote, and that's again, a different conversation of what is success to other people, but successful in the sense of building a business and achieving whatever, what I've achieved in skydiving and writing books and all, all those things is that it's not that I'm fearless. It's that I had to figure out ways to get through the fear that I felt because I felt a lot of fear at every turn. And so if I didn't cultivate and figure out some skill set through that painful anxiety, I wouldn't do shit with my life <laughs> right. for real. Yeah, totally agree with you. Yeah. I think your writings are so, I think you come from a deep place when you write, but I wonder where that started for you. Like you, you've written several books where, can you tell a little bit backstory? Cause honestly, I don't, yeah. you know, we've been friends for a little while, but I don't know much more about that. And I'd love to learn more. Yeah, no, I thank you for reading anything that I write. I am <laughs> grateful for any person spending their valuable time and attention on anything that I put out into the world. Truly, that means a great deal to me. I am definitely the most vulnerable in my writing. I'm getting there uh, in podcasting. So my the podcast that I produce with my one of my friends and colleagues is called Trust the Journey. We have deliberately created a space for this sort of extra like deepening vulnerability mm -hmm. where we really explore in a really humble process of 
of healing and consciousness together, which has been a really amazing experience. But for the most part, for the last decade, it's been my writing is where I'm most vulnerable. Where that comes from for me is, and Elizabeth Gilbert is one of my core mentors Mm -hmm. in, in, as a creative and as a leader in the way that I choose to lead through consciousness and the ideas that I believe in. Well, I just believe, I believe deeply that courageous self-expression is an avenue to our highest contribution to others, to ourselves and to the world. And I mean that why I bring up Elizabeth Gilbert is that I read Eat, Pray, Love in 2007, like I think ish when it came out and it totally supported me in a deep way. Like, I feel like I had my first transcendent, enlightened, quote unquote, experience at the end of reading that book, which is uh, in reflecting on that, I sort of laugh at calling it that. But that's what it felt like at the time is this real ecstatic moment of freedom that I experienced when I finished that book, feeling so seen, so not alone, so supported through her words that that was it's just became such a powerful pillar in all the ways that I self-express. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Thank you. I never read the book. I just saw the movie. Yeah. Um, but, and I, but I, I, I have the same thought process you do. And I think that the, the, this podcast has allowed me to be really vulnerable and not even under, not even acknowledge that I'm being that way. I'm just trying, you know, I'm trying to be like, if you and I know we're having coffee and it was just the two of us, I try to speak the same yeah. way that I would totally. because that's, that's what I'm trying to get out there is that so that everyone can have those kind of conversations. Um, so what did you do with that change in your life? You know, what, what you had that, you had that pivotal thing happen and then what was next? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, so i when I, so, well, it's all very connected. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, where do I start in telling the story? Um, well, I was professional skydiving. So I worked in an investment bank out of college. I made a lot of money. I spent it all on skydiving, getting good at skydiving as a competitor. I reached a level of competitive success where it was either I'm happy with what I've achieved in skydiving or I and I go the route of an MBA in the business world and traditional path or I'm not and I go some route in skydiving but there's a, there's a longer story to all of these transition points but I decided I ultimately went obviously the route of skydiving yep. uh which very short story how that happened is I read the job search book what color is your parachute mm-hmm. which oh yeah we the, all read that the that only reason I bought it right? yeah exactly <laughs> The only reason I bought it is because there was parachute in the title. Like I was totally obsessed. It's ridiculous. And uh, a question in that book really redirected and changed my life. And that question was, what would you do if money were no object? Now, that's a really fluffy question if you really are like, oh, you know, but what it did for me is I read that question and it was like, well, skydiving, duh. And immediately I was like, skydiving, duh, but I don't want to live in a trailer on the drop zone. I don't want to <laughs> eat ramen noodles for my life. I don't want to, whatever. I had all of these limiting, limiting thoughts around what a professional skydiver looked like. And, and I, because my answer was so instantaneous, it basically took those like blinders on your eyes and just, you know, like started to open them up. And I was like, well, wait, 
there, there's a professional skydiver that doesn't live in a trailer and eat ramen noodles. They have a house and a family. It's, you know, so I started to really open my mind about what that would, would, how possible that would be. And then I basically pitched to my local drop zone that they needed to hire me in a specific role, which they did. And eight months later we'd planned and, and I made the major switch. Now that's, I'm telling a long story. I'm sorry. It's just, but from there, I was living this dream life of being a professional skydiver, working at this drop zone, getting paid a salary to coach my friends and do fun events and compete and train and all this. And then one day I'm walking across the drop zone. I'll never forget this moment. It was like the gravel driveway. I'm walking across the, the driveway and it just sort of, just sort of tickles my, my brain. My intuition just says ever so subtly, my intuition speaks to me. Not, it was not a Mack truck moment, like Mm -hmm. life epiphany. It was this intuition that basically told me and made me acknowledge Mm -hmm. that I knew that even though I was really happy then that I wouldn't be happy forever. Like if this was all that I did with my life, this professional skydiving thing, I just knew I wouldn't be happy. And I didn't know what I would do, but I just, I'm lucky I listened because that sent me on a sort of path of inquiry of what do I like? What am I good at? I found life coaching again. That's sort of a longer story. I thought it was complete bullshit at first. I'm like, (laughs) this is a scam life coaching. That's clearly nonsense, you know? So obviously I ended up figuring out that it was a real thing and it was calling, calling me to go that direction, which I'm super, super grateful I did, but that's sort of how I got on the path of, of life coaching and to finally answer your question <laughs> about how it manifested from, from Elizabeth Gilbert's influence is that I was this new and young life coach and I was starting to figure out how I would be in the world as a life coach. What would my website have on it? Oh, okay, a blog. I like to write, I guess, sometimes. And I basically ended up pitching Blue Skies Magazine, which is a skydiving magazine. I pitched them that, hey, what would you guys think about having a, you know, skydiving and life coach column that I could write monthly? And I just hoped that they would say yes. They were stoked. They totally said yes. And that was 10 years ago. And I've written literally every single month for, for 10 years, which is one of the things I'm most proud of in my entire life. And that writing eventually became my most significant published work which is my book, How to Fly Life Lessons from a Professional Skydiver. Thank you for listening. That was long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was fascinating. I think it's fascinating that you were in your dream job and were like, there's got to be more here and listening to yeah. yourself. Like, this is great for my 20s. And it mm-hmm. was. You were having a great time. You were doing what you loved, but you knew that you could accomplish more and do more. Um, and more than writing, it feels like that's what you do for your clients too. You're like, you're okay, but this is how much farther you could go. I'd love to learn more about your point of view in your life coaching. Like, you know, I want to say what's your message, but I'm just interested in how you do connect the skydiving and the life coaching for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all, it's all very connected in the sense that the skills that I learned as a competitive skydiver, 
the skills that I learned as a young entrepreneur, the skills that I learned as a coach and organizer that traveled the world and met thousands of people, like just engaging human beings, those skills show up in when, when I'm talking with a client and they're having a challenge, it's not that I'm putting my stuff into the space in the sense that I don't ever tell a client what to do. I'm not a consultant. I'm a coach. I hold open space, very non-judgmental space for them to explore and discover for themselves what's going on. But a big part of my frame and how I approach life coaching and part of it depends on like the person that tends to be drawn to me is usually the type A person who has reached a point in their life or whatever, where they've achieved a lot of stuff and they're having some kind of existential crisis where they are like, fuck, I'm not happy. Like mm -hmm. I, I, and I, something is challenging. I'm in some kind of emotional crisis that I don't know how to figure out. Now, sometimes a therapist is the right way to go. And sometimes people have a therapist and they have me. Why I say that is that we can externally achieve forever. So it's really this uh, awesome space for a type A person who's like, life coaching, forget that, <laughs> right? Can talk to someone who sounds like a normal person and who was very type A herself mm -hmm. and ultimately had to go through a lot of life breakdown and, and deep healing to get to the skill, the emotional skill mastery. And then again, I say mastery, I don't really mean that word at all, but like emotional skill, uh, just even engage in emotional skill set at all. And then the irony of that being actually what levels a person up in all other areas of their life. So it's the thing that the type A person would be like, it's definitely not that. <laughs> that's clearly not going to help me, you know? So right. that's usually how it goes. And what are you finding that's coming up a lot for those people? Because I think that from the outside, uh, I'm, I'm not a type A. I aspire to be type A. <laughs> but I'm, I always say I'm like D minus in, my, in, my, in that kind of thing. But I wonder, you know, I think we all have the same kind of problems and the same kind of things that come up against us. Um, and I feel like, and you tell me if you agree with this or not, but I think, Therapy is really helping you understand the past and life coaching is for you to get through the now and the future. Yeah, I, I make that distinction in general okay. because yes, I, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not trained to that level. Anybody who I work with that it seems that what they need is outside of the scope of my training, I'll just refer them out. I've done that enough, plenty of times in the past. Uh, life coaching, at least the way that I do it, we certainly talk about the past because I need to know who, who you are. I need to know things that have impacted you. The difference I think, and again, not being a therapist, the difference I would guess is that we don't stay there. We don't hang out in the past. I, I'm like, cool, I'm informed so I can be a, as optimal a teammate, as supportive a teammate as possible knowing who you are in your life experiences that might impact why you have certain behavior patterns, why you have certain limiting mindsets, why you have certain emotional pain, why you have had certain results in certain areas. Those past conversations inform my knowing about that. And then we talk about, okay, cool, great. We are in this 
super safe, non-judgmental space. And then we get our type A on, but it's just relative to emotional growth. It's kind of weird because you can <laughs> use those, that very actionable mindset as it relates to emotional growth, not in all cases, but in certain ways you can very much bring accountability to emotional healing and emotional expansion. Well, I really appreciate that. I, I, and I really like the way that you look at it. I, I've, I have had a, a couple of sessions with a life coach and I too was before that. I was like, I don't get, I don't get what this is years ago. And once I had that conversation, I was like, oh, you're worth every penny. Now I get it. And now I understand, <laughs> you know, and I know you're definitely, uh, you're definitely worth it, but I love that. I'd love to talk a little bit more about like your point of view and, and why you've been successful in what you do and how you do it. You know, we talked a little bit about fear, but what's like, what's the, for me, my motivation comes from wanting to be seen and heard. Not, and not that I know that what I'm saying is so important because it's not, it's really fulfilled. Like when I am on a zoom call and I'm helping or teaching, I'm fulfilling a piece in me that needs to be seen and heard um, to fill my soul. And I know where that comes from, but I was wondering what, where it comes from for you. Yeah. I mean, it's actually very similar. It's, it's funny on the side of the house of being a creative and being a public person in whatever form I choose to be like a writer, there is a huge part of me that does not want to be out there. Like big part of me that is like, I'll just hang back here. I'm cool. Like, and not be the one, like I've, I've had this consistent, like, Oh God, everyone's going to think I'm just eyes to me. Look at me, look at me type stuff. I've had to really work hard. And that still kind of, kind of still to this day bothers me being someone who's putting themselves out there, reflecting on their own life experiences. But I can't deny, I cannot deny that there is some, there is some calling that calls me to be seen, to be heard, to be out there. And that being something that's a calling to me. So that's on the creative side of the house. On the client side of the house, it's, it's the same in the sense that it's not me being seen and heard. It's me like really giving people the experience of being deeply seen and deeply heard mm -hmm. and deeply loved. Like, I don't say that very much in my branding, but the experience a lot of my clients have is that they feel the, the love that I feel for them. They, they know, they believe you know, it's not instant, but over time, most of my clients really do believe me that I love them. So that's, that's kind of the basics. <laughs> well, I believe, I totally believe that because I feel that from you, just to let you know, I think people feel that a lot sooner than you think that they feel it on a hundred percent. I hope so. Even the first time I met you, you do leave this, like, I don't want to say a safe space, but I guess it was like, a, that's how I see you. I see you like loving and, and non-judgmental and like a space where it's like, I can be where, whoever I am with you because I like, I think you're cool. So I want you to like me, but I don't, but I do, I think you're, I think you're a cool chick, but I don't think that, and I don't think other people think this either. I don't think that I need to be anything but me with you because your bullshit meter will go up and you'll be like, Hmm, you know, that's how yeah. I kind of feel about it. Like you can see through that. I, I'm a middle child. And when I was mm -hmm. little, we had a, a nanny named Beryl who I adored and loved, but she loved my brother just a little bit more. She had girls at home and oh. Jamaica. And I just was, and it wasn't like I didn't feel loved, but I wasn't the number one. And right. then my 
grandfather used to call me his number two girl because I have an older sister. She was number one and he, and he called my brother number three. It wasn't, nobody was putting me anywhere. But through that, I've realized in the last three years, I'm like, oh, that's why I'm in the front of the room. That's why I'm like, hey, over here. But really what I am right, getting right. when I, when people are seen by me and I get that response from them, I really thought it was about me, but you just made me realize that it's not. I'm really holding space for them too. And that's really what I'm getting from it. I love that. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> well, and thank you for that beautiful, amazing reflection. I, it's you genuinely never know. And that, and there's bravery in that too, right? Like I could, I hope that that's how I'm received in the world, right? I believe from a spiritual perspective that I'm a ball of light, that I am love. You know, I believe that mm-hmm. from an energetic spiritual place. And you also don't know how how you're being received unless you actually get feedback. So there's a bit of, and I I just said that, but there's bravery in that. There's, there's definitely bravery in just showing up as you are called to show up. Even if you don't necessarily know exactly why yet, there's often a lot of, there's just gifts in, in that experience. Oh yeah. I love it. You know, there definitely is. And the bravery, I think, is being open to all parts of it. Like, I ask for critique all the time. I really do. You'll get an email in a few days saying, thanks so much for coming on. Can you please tell me anything you think that I can improve on? No one ever gives me hate feedback, ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, I get, you're so great. You did a good job. But I'm like, please tell me I suck. Like, I'm literally, please tell me. I suck. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an asshole. Like, because I need that interaction in that part. I don't think for me it's being brave, but maybe it is. I didn't really reflect on it that way. I think for me, it was more like, I just need to, I need that tactile, like what's going on so I can measure where I am in the world because I think I'm showing up a certain way. Like you just said, I think I'm showing up a certain way, but if you don't tell me, I might be showing up like an asshole. So I want to know. Well, (laughs) yeah. I mean, well, just to let you know, it's definitely not asshole. So <laughs> um, one of the things that, and I think it's important, I believe deeply that it's important that people be in the work themselves. Like you have to be in the work if you expect to grow and change and heal and do the things that you want to do. If you're ha- getting a certain result and it's not what you want, there's clearly something going on. Like there's something going on with you, with your environment, with whatever. And one of the things for me personally that I realized, so typically the polarity of life, the yin and yang of things, right? My calling, my voracious calling to love people and to connect with people definitely reflected my own sort of fears of abandonment, fears of disconnection. I I like, I say it like that because that's how it resonates with me the most is that this deep fear of disconnection. And in my less conscious years, that fear of disconnection, it definitely helped magnify my ability to be out in the world as the authentic, you know, light and love that I, that I am. So it's not like it was false, but it was also bolstered by that fear of, of loss and fear of disconnection. Once I, I was able to really see that and start to heal that, that deep, deep fear, 
and start to connect to bigger concepts of we are all connected, like, and really believe that from a, from a spiritual place. Not that I can always access it, right? I can't always access that thought, but I'm in, now I'm in the practice of making that a default conscious thought such that I feel safe in the world when I formerly would not, right? So now I'm able to affect boundaries so much better. I'm that much better for my clients because there's no part of me that is afraid of them like receiving me in a, in a bad way. Like I, I feel calm confidence around how I would navigate a conflict if presented with that, which before if presented with a conflict in any realm of my life, I would be fucking terrified. Pardon my French. And so to look at the, the yin and yang, the like polarity of, of something in your life that shows up in a real big, big way, and then look at the other, what could that be showing me on the other side of the house? Maybe nothing, but it's, it's a potentially really useful thought exercise to, to do. Okay. Can you walk us through that a little bit more? Because now I'm like, what, what's on my side of the houses? And I'm sure people listening <laughs> too. So would you grace us with like a little exercise? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, again, it's really personal. So I would invite people to really think about first, what is something that shows up in their life in a big way? What behavior pattern is your most clear strength? What is something that you, a zone where you feel high confidence, a way of being that feels like this is me. I am, I'm high confidence when I'm being this way. Like, just take a look at that and go, you know, you said, okay, I'm not type A. Cool. Other type A people are like, yes, I am type A. So there's (laughs) this real external achiever zone. You know what I mean? And so usually for those type A people, and I'm including myself in that, we find a lot of confidence and a lot of emotional comfort feeling like we can control these external elements that when we're achieving, when we're kicking ass, taking names, we won't be at risk of being rejected or being unloved or being not good enough. So it hides those deeper gremlin thoughts usually for people. <laughs> okay. And, so gonna, so if we could yeah. talk, like, I'll give you one. Let's talk through it. Yeah, please um, do it. So- I have a cookbook called Clean Cocktails, right? Just recipes for the modern mixologist, my partner, Tara. Um, love it. Rossioli of Highway to Well, who I adore and love. And thank God she's <laughs> yes. in my life. Um, but when we got the book deal and then the books came, like I never had that super over the top excitement. I was like, okay, what's next? Okay, how do I get this in Oprah? Okay, I, I have a... I have an issue, a problem, a block or whatever (laughs) with really celebrating those wins because I'm looking to what's the next win, but I'm not staying present in that win. Yeah. Well, not to say that's whatever, no judgment on any way of being any person is truly, you would have to look at this for yourself and go, is this working for you? So I would ask that, but I would also go typically when we, are consistent. And I've been very guilty of this. I am absolutely a doer. I like to be in action. I like to be immersed. I like to be in flow, whether it's some physical activity, whether it's repainting my office, right? (laughs) Today I showed up, whether it's all all being in deep conversation with you. So 
there's something really freeing about that flow state. But when theoretically, when we can't access a celebratory moment or a pause in the, in the doing and the onward, there can be an addictive nature to the dopamine that we get from thinking forward. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like when we are working on something that hasn't happened yet, there's this excitement that comes from that possibility. So it's a lot of people talk about this relative to peak experiences. Like for example, achieving, uh, finishing a competitive year with and get, earning a medal in skydiving. You have this peak experience where you're standing on the podium and it's cool. And then after it's, it's so fleeting, right? The peak moment right. is really not what it's all about at all. In if we are unconscious to the appreciation, the gratitude for the journey, the relationships we've made, whatever is important to us. Does that make sense? But mm -hmm. I would take a look at what part of you maybe hasn't cultivated a skill of simply pausing. It's maybe just a lack of focus on a certain skill set you'd like to, to have. Doesn't Thank have you. to be some deep and meaningful. It could be, right. you know, it could be something that comes from your therapeutic past and, and it could right. be something you're just like, wow, I haven't just, I haven't focused on that. So let's, let's see how I go. I appreciate that. You, you just validated a couple of things and I definitely have been working on, like I didn't have gratitude in my life at that time. And I definitely threw um, a lot of awful traumas that happened in the last three years that I'm coming out of. Um, gratitude has saved a lot. And I find that, you know, I did like now I'm celebrating the little online TV segments that I'm getting. Um, yeah, but cool. to reflect on like the book, like I was excited, but I didn't have that. Like you did a good job. You were like, that was awesome. You, you know, you worked yeah. your ass off. Um, yeah. And I did see it as that's because I'm on to the, like you said, I'm on to the next thing and the bigger, better, let's go. Instead of sitting. Yeah. And sometimes pausing, hard. Yeah. Maybe it's not even about the pausing too. Maybe it's about the pausing. Maybe it's about some limiting thought around what it means to truly celebrate ourselves. Often there's a, there's a limiting thought for people around that around, Oh, it's selfish. It's not humble, <laughs> right? There's no humility when we pause and celebrate ourselves like that that's not okay. That can sometimes be found in people's upbringing or the way they were raised or just whatever, some, some piece of, of avoiding that for some reason. So no, there's I, a I lot, have, a lot of things. Yeah. I have clients that I don't have that piece. I have too much. Um, I don't know what the, I'm like, I have too much bitchiness to not be like, Hey, I'm so awesome. Look at me. <laughs> but I know yeah, I have a lot of clients that I, you know, I just want to celebrate them and it's too much. I have one client in particular. I'm thinking about like every time I try to celebrate her, she can't receive it. Really? And we're, and we're working through it. Um, you know, it's hard, it's hard when you're trying to get them publicized invisible when they're like, mm, don't really look yeah. at me. Yeah. Um, well, well, and it's figure it out. totally man. It's, it's also interesting. The feeling the anxiety and the fear one feels after one has succeeded. You know what I mean? That's something that's easily visible in my story. I was very successful as a skydiver. I was super, super cool kid in skydiving. And I had achieved a, a real notable level of success in that realm. So now I'm starting this thing called life coaching, which I think is, oh my God, sounds so bad and so cheesy. Like it was very hard for me at first, <laughs> but I was just like, damn, I'm called. So it was like another thing where I'm like, I'm called in this direction, even though I'm like, this sounds so stupid. Uh, that I had to really work on 
and cultivate supportive mindsets for myself to help me believe in the possibility that I would be equally as, as accepted, loved, and successful in this new lane. Because at first I was totally afraid that I'm only going to be successful as a skydiver. Well, we are all grateful that you listened to your intuition and that you did <laughs> step into the possibility of helping others um, because you do come at, come to it with lots of love. And we love you. And I, oh. like I said, I love your guts. Uh, Millie, thank, thank you so you. much for coming today. I I know that I had an aha moment with you and I always appreciate our time together, but I know that our audience learned a lot, not only about you, but hopefully a little bit about themselves today. So thanks for being with oh, I certainly hope so. And thank you. And I love you too. Thanks for joining me this week on Behind the Spotlight. Make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd love a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about it. And that would help me out too. But if you like the show and you want to check out more, look me up at BethNightick.com. Plus, now I'm offering private 90-minute intensive strategy sessions. You might want to get in on that, too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Behind the Spotlight.